Hey, welcome to the Living Messenger Podcast, where we discuss God's simple truths and His gospel. I'm your host, Andrew O'Neill. All right, welcome back to my podcast, everybody. Um, it's been a while, but uh, I've been studying a few things, and I thought I'd share. And today, I wanted to kind of talk about um, the six thousand year pattern, the cosmic week, um, seven thousand year theory. There's several different names for it, um, but I thought it was kind of interesting. And um, this is kind of a First part's kind of biblically based, and the second part is uh, prophecy kind of based. Um, so I thought I'd go over it and just kind of interesting to think about. So should we be trying to figure out when Jesus comes? Um, let's first let's see what the Bible has to say. Uh, Matthew twenty four thirty six. But of that day and hour knows no man, no not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. So that's pretty clear, right? We don't know the day or the hour, and only the Father knows. And let's go uh, Matthew 24, 33. When you shall see all these things, know that it is near, even at the doors. So we may not know the hour or the day, but we will know when it's coming close. There's going to be many things happening um, in prophecy, things that Jesus warns us about, that we're going to know his time is coming. And I always um, want to talk about the verse, uh, comes like a thief in the night, right? Everyone uses that to say that, you know, this is talking about when Jesus comes, but I don't really believe that. I think this is talking about um, the close of probation. If a thief comes um, in the middle of the night, are you going to notice at night? No, you're not going to notice anything. You're not going to notice it until the morning after when everything's gone. And when Jesus comes, we're obviously going to know when he's coming. Why? Because... We, there's so many things happening. We know it's near, right? And he's coming in a cloud. There's going to be a bright light. So I think this is more talking about the close of probation because we literally don't know when that's happening. And that is like a thief at night. So I always like to point that out. Okay. So what? another thing I want to kind of lay out, what does one day mean in prophecy? We kind of know uh, one day equals a thousand years or vice versa. So Second uh, Peter 3.8, but... Believe, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. And there are several other verses quoting that. So in prophecy, you know, those are kind of interchangeable. Another, another thing I kind of want to go over real quick is what does the millennium mean? Um, so Revelation 24, and they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. So when Jesus comes down from heaven for the second coming, He's going to take us up to heaven, and we're going to live with him for a thousand years. After that thousand years, the millennium, we're going to come back down to earth. It's going to be a new earth, and we're going to have the new Jerusalem. And that's when Satan's going to be let loose again. Uh, When we go to heaven, he's going to be in a pit, and he's going to be kind of like the earth's going to be pretty much dead. And after that is when we come back is he's going to be resurrected and that's when he's going to try to um, attack with the 
um, leaders of the earth and try to attack the new Jerusalem and take out Jesus for a last kind of guess, which we know is not going to work. So that's kind of just what the millennium is. Um, so what is God's number? Does God have a number? If we think about it in the Bible, uh, seven is the number that you hear and is used multiple times throughout the Bible. If you just think about it, creation, creation is a seven day creation. Um, revelation, there's several, seven horns, seven eyes. So we're going to go over this number seven and show that God is consistent with this number and he uses it for many things. Um, so first we're going to read uh, Mark 9. Um, and not all the verses, we'll probably read through the first eight or nine verses. And this is kind of talking about Jesus transfigured on the mount. And this is kind of represents um, kind of a mini version of the second coming of God. It's kind of, kind of showing us what to expect. So let's just go ahead and uh, start reading and go over a couple verses. And he said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that there are some standing here who will not taste death till they see the kingdom of God present, present with power. Now, after six days, now remember this, now after six days, so Jesus had them sitting, waiting here for six days, took Peter, James, and John, led them up on high mount, mountain apart by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. So transfigured means transformed into something more beautiful or elevated. So here you have, they waited six days, they go up to the mountain, and then Jesus is literally rising up to heaven. Uh, his clothes became shining exceedingly white like snow, such as no launderer on earth can whiten them. And Elijah appeared to them with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. So, kind of interesting. So you have Jesus going up to heaven, and Elijah and Moses appear. Why are Elijah and Moses next to Jesus in the sky? It's kind of interesting, right? So, Moses represents the law in the Bible. But how did he get to heaven? Did he die? Um, did he raise, like, what does he represent here? So he's representing the people that die and then are resurre resurrected because Moses died, right? And he was resurrected by Christ and he's in heaven now. How about Elijah? Elijah represents the prophets. How did he get to heaven? He was translated and caught up to heaven, right? So this is, like I said, kind of a mini showing of the second coming. So you have representative of the people that will literally go straight to heaven without dying, and you'll have the people who have died and resurrected. So really cool. Uh, let's continue a couple more verses here. Um, and Elijah appeared to them with Moses, and they were ta talking with Jesus. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here, and let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Because he did not know what to say, for they were greatly afraid. And a cloud came and overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, saying, This is my beloved son, hear him. So where is this cloud? This cloud also is a, a representative of the second coming, right? Because we know Jesus' second coming is going to come from, uh, from a cloud with bright lights. So this is all correlating to the second coming, which is really cool. Um, so the key I wanted to kind of hit on is remember... Six days they waited and then they went up in the mountain. We're going to see some other examples where the six and seven kind of interchange and play with each other. So if we go to um, Exodus 24, 6, um, we'll read that. Now the glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai and the cloud covered it six days. 
And on the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. So here we have another example. For whatever reason, um, Moses waited six days. And then on the seventh day, he went up the mountain, right? And in the midst of a cloud. So there you have that kind of cloud coming. So that six and seven with the cloud, it all kind of fits. Um, and then let's read Joshua 6, 14 through 16. I actually won't read that. I'll just kind of paraphrase. So this is talking about Joshua and Jericho. So what happened here? Um, you have the Israelites that they were instructed to march around Jericho uh, for six days. And they marched around once for those six days each day. But on the seventh day, they marched seven times around the city and with the seven priests and seven trumpets, they blew and the city come tumbling down, right? So what did the Israelites gain with this on the seventh day? What did they gain? What was promised to them? The promised land, right? So them conquering was like the promised land. And it's kind of interesting. So if you think about these examples here, going up the mountain is like going up to heaven, right? Um, like the uh, Israelites, they're, they were gaining the promised land. What are we getting when we go to heaven? The promised land. So this all kind of fits together. Um, how there's a six, you do something for, you know, six days, 6,000 years, um, because one day represents a thousand years. And then on the seventh, something miraculous happens. Transfiguration. We go up to heaven. We go up the mountain, something significant. Okay. So let's read another in Exodus 23, 10, 11. Six years, sow your land and gather its produce, but the seventh year you shall let it rest. So six years you work the land, but on the seventh you let it rest and let it be. So it's kind of interesting. So biblically, how old is the Bible uh, or how old is the earth? Um, about 6,000 years is um, what we believe if you go back and play the dates through the Bible, right? Roughly somewhere around there. That's kind of interesting. If you divide 6,000 into six, what do you get? A thousand, right? So here we go. We have 6,000 years, you work the land, and then you have a thousand years. That's like the millennium. So that six and seven is playing again, right? And then let's go on to the next one. Uh, Exodus 21, 2. Um, and this one, let me, I haven't pulled it up here. Exodus 21, two. And this one's talking about the same thing. I'll just, uh, kind of paraphrase. So it's pretty much saying, if you have a slave for uh, if a slave six years, they shall work for you. But on that seventh year, they shall go free. That's kind of interesting. Cause if you kind of correlate it to earth today, have we not been enslaved by Satan for 6,000 years and, on that seventh year will be released by Jesus's second coming, right? All right. And the last one is Job 519. From six disasters, he will rescue. Even the seventh, he will keep you from evil. So again, six disasters will rescue. Even in the seventh, he will keep you from evil. So just very interesting where God uses this consistent narrative where that six comes into play and then the seventh we're transfigured into heaven to the promised land or we're set free. So very interesting. Um, okay. So we kind of talked about how old uh, the earth is. So we know roughly it's been about 2000 years from Adam to Adam to Abraham, 2000 years from Abraham to Christ and uh, 2000 years from Christ to our current day. Right? So we're going to jump kind of now 
into the spirit of prophecy. What does Ellen G. White have to say about this? And this is also based on Walter Weiss kind of interpretation at the end, which, you know, I'm not too sure, you know, talking about date setting, it's not really important. It's not a salvation issue, but it's something we should know and just to kind of look out for. And it's just an interesting subject to talk about. So if we go um, to the spirit of prophecy, um, let's see here. How many times does Ellen G. White talk about the subject of 4,000 years or 6,000 years? And I haven't talked about the 4,000 years. We'll get to that. But what about the 6,000 years? Um, let me see. Just pulling up some slides here. If it's working, and I don't think it is. Um, so pretty much Ellen G. White mentions um, about the earth and prophecy, or in her all her writings, she says about 13 times about 6,000, almost 6,000 once, nearly 6,000 12 times, more than or over 6,000 three times. Um, and now that's kind of troubling because here you have you know, her statement where everything's below 6,000 years. So she's very consistent, but here she has three examples that state that it's over 6,000 years, which would not be consistent with the rest of her writings. And this is something that Walter Weith um, talked about in his uh, talk about this is that it really bothered him and come to find out that uh, several years later, he got a pamphlet and pretty much it talked about those three different examples. One of the examples, it wasn't really talking about just the earth's um, age. It was more talking about Satan's rule. Another example was talking about um, she never, they actually it was a misprint um, from the original text, and she actually never used the word more than 6,000 words. That more, for whatever reason, was added to the text later on for some weird reason. So it was never there. So the three examples that he found that he was concerned about were actually nothing to be concerned about. So it kind of shows that Ellen G. White has been consistent on that. Okay, so according to the spirit of prophecy, how long will sin reign? So let's re read this quote here from Ellen G. White. The great plan of redemption results in fully bringing back the world into God's favor. All that was lost by sin is restored. Not only man, but the earth is redeemed to be the eternal abode of the obedient. For 6,000 years, Satan has struggled to maintain possession of the earth. Now God's original purpose in its creation is accomplished. The saints of the Most High shall take the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. So... It sounds, she makes it very clear here that for exactly 6,000 years, Satan has struggled to maintain the possession of the earth. And once that 6,000 years is up, which is what she's stating, now God's original purpose and its creation is accomplished. The saints of the Most High shall take the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. So just kind of, we're going to touch on this a little bit more, but let's read another one here. 
For 6,000 years, Satan's work of rebellion has made the earth to tremble. He had made the world as a wilderness and destroyed the cities thereof, and he opened not the house of his prisoners. For 6,000 years, his prison house has received God's people, and you would have held them captive forever, but Christ had broken his bonds and set the prisoners free. So you kind of see what we're going at here. So for 6,000 years, Satan has had control of uh, the earth. But once that 6,000 years is up, just like everything else, is when God is going to come and uh, save us uh, from sin. Um, so let's read. So when according to prophecy will those 6,000 years have elapsed since the fall of man? So can we know from prophecy what dates we're kind of talking about on the earth's timeline? So we're going to read three quotes here. Christ in the wilderness of temptation. This is uh, from one of her writings. Christ in the wilderness of temptation stood in Adam's place to bear the test he failed to endure. So Adam's failed. So Adam's fall. Here Christ overcame in the sinner's behalf. 4,000 years after Adam turned his back upon the light of his home, separated from the presence of God, the human family had been departing, each succession of generation, farther from the original purity, wisdom, and knowledge which Adam possessed in Eden. Christ bore the sins and the infirmities of the race as they existed when he came to the earth to help man. In behalf of the race, with the weakness of fallen man upon him, he was to stand the temptations of Satan upon all points in which man could be assailed. So, 4,000 years after Adam fell, he was in the wilderness being tempted. So, we can assume per prophecy, per Ellen G. White, that from the fall of Adam to Christ's temptation in the wilderness was approximately 4,000 years. Let's read another one. The Savior of the world had no controversy with Satan, who was expelled from heaven because he was no longer worthy of a place there. He who could influence the angels of God against their supreme ruler and against his son, their loved commander, and enlist their sympathy for him was capable of any deception. 4,000 years he had been warring against the government of God and had lost none of his skills or power to tempt and deceive. So again, she states 4,000 years uh, from the fall to when uh, Christ is being tempted by Satan. And then you're at, probably wondering, okay, we haven't talked about any baptism or anything like that, which we're going to get to right now. So Another quote, on Jordan's bank, the voice from heaven, attended by the manifestation from the excellent glory, proclaimed Christ to be the son of the eternal. Satan was to personally encounter the head of the kingdom, which he came to overthrow. If he failed, he knew that he was lost. Therefore, the power of his temptation was in accordance with the greatness of the object which he would lose or gain. For 4,000 years, ever since the declaration was made to Adam that the seed of the woman should bruise the serpent's head, he had been planning his manner of attack. So here we have Jesus being baptized, right? And it's still 4,000 years. Now, you're probably asking, how is this possible that, you know, you're talking about temptation in the desert and baptism is two different dates, right? But in the Bible... They're actually very close to each other. In Matthew 3, uh, Jesus gets baptized. In Matthew 4, uh, Jesus is tempted by Satan in the desert. So they're naturally right after each other. So Ellen G. White prophecy is very consistent with that uh, 4,000 years and the same timeline. So if we have 4,000 years um, from Adam's fall, not from the beginning, but Adam's fall, to Christ's baptism, that's 4,000 years. That leaves another 2,000 years left. 
if we add 2,000 years to 27 AD, which is when Christ was baptized, we come to the date of 2027. So what does this 2027 exactly mean? Does that mean that Jesus is coming in 2027? Does that mean, um, you know, that's when, uh, I guess, uh, Satan is released from the pits of earth and that's when he can start, start his assault on the New Jerusalem. There's some different kind of interpretations here. But according to prophecy, 2027 would be approximately 6,000 years. Um, so there's some different kind of ways we can look at this, right? Um, is this really saying that, hey, Jesus is coming in 2027? No, I don't really think that's saying that because things could change, right? There's multiple different things that could change. Um, it could come sooner. It could come later. It all depends on Jesus, right? He could prolong things. He could shorten things. And also, um, Walter Byth, he says he th believes that the 6,000 years actually pertains to uh, Satan after the thousand years because he still has control of the earth to some degree with the leaders as they kind of plot um, their you know, final assault on the new Jerusalem. And, you know, it's going to take some time, right. To prepare battle. You're going to be, you know, plotting with the generals of the nations, Napoleon, all these, you know, great warriors of the past plotting and what kind of weapons are they going to have swords? Are they going to have guns? Are they going to have atomic bombs? You know, it's going to take time, you know, to assemble them. So, you know, he kind of believes that that all encompasses the 6,000 years, which means 2027 would, the 6,000 year theory would have to be before that. It had to be like 2026, 2025, 2024. It doesn't really, we don't really know. But anyway, I just thought it was kind of interesting to talk about, you know, I think it shows that we really are in the end times. God is consistent with the six that after those six times he comes and saves us. So it is, you know, very plausible that this is true, whether that date is accurate or not. I don't know. I don't think it's really important, but I think it does show that, Hey, we are kind of coming to the end of times here and that, you know, we should get our ducks in the road because you never know when that final time does come, it's going to be short and it's going to be quick. So I just kind of want to talk about that. It's super little quick, interesting, and hopefully you enjoyed it. And uh, thanks for joining.